JM in the AM. Thanks so much, Rabbi Goldwasser. And I remind everybody as we uh, speak about another amazing Shar Press Art Scroll release, when you go to artscroll.com and you look for the brand new book by uh, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer called The Insider, the book is called The Insider, uh, for both that book and any other book at artscroll.com, always use promo code radio. That's the bottom line. You always want to use promo code radio. When you use promo code radio, you get your massive discount plus free shipping. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to take advantage of an amazing bargain? Well, uh, the book is called The Insider. Famed war journalist Yisrael Katzover, who's also known as A. Pierre, uh, and his unforgettable adventures and encounters with Gedolim and world leaders. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachman. I feel like I didn't leave. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, it was actually a topic of conversation with somebody last night about the speed with which you're releasing books. I mean, you must be you must be drowning in a sea of interviews and information in order to release them at the pace you're doing. Can you grab my hand, please? <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't end, because from what I hear, there's more coming. Something you're going to like very much is on its way. A bunch of things, actually, so stay tuned. We don't want to give it away over here on the show, but uh, if I was with those people, I would actually put you on with them, because I know how much you like when we do that. Interesting. All right. Well, what can I say? We'll wait for the big news and congratulate you on yet another uh, interesting and fascinating release. It's called The Insider. Yisrael Katzover, obviously, I mean, I guess a lot of it, as you indicated in the book, was through Zoom because of the period of time that you were doing these interviews and doing all this research. But you must have spent a tremendous amount of time with him, uh, and that in and of itself must have been an incredible experience. It was. And I'll tell you, the, the most amazing thing about this man is his humility. Wow. That's it's like, here's a person who, who literally traveled the world in the presence of prime ministers, G'dayli Yisrael, kings, uh, you know, and, he, and he's just the most humble, down-to-earth, self-effacing person, the most the biggest Balmidas mensch. Well, the guy blows me away. Yeah, I mean, and it comes through uh, in his experiences, and, and a lot of it, and look, you and I have discussed this topic before, when you come to people who have... Uh, unique backgrounds in multiple areas, when one of those areas is, in fact, steeped in our tradition, when you come from a family that is so dedicated to our heritage, when you come from, uh, uh, when you come from a town and end up living in neighborhoods that attract Adola Yisrael, that attract Torah giants, uh, you're talking about a completely different type of experience. Uh, what, what some people would think you know, would be the most important thing, the fact that he was a journalist, the fact that he uh, hung out with the people that you described, um, it, it seems like the the Torah and Jewish angle always is able to temper one's ego and temper one's enthusiasm for all the other stuff. You get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. I mean, you you grew up, you you live on the Lower East Side, right? Well, I didn't grow up here, but here since I'm married, you, right? Saying, so you've been there for a long, long time, surrounded by the Gedolim of of the Lower East Side, and they've had a tremendous respect on you. I mean, saying that that's something you you know the the, the Feinstein family, you know them well. Right, a hundred percent. So I'm saying, that, yeah, a hundred percent. Look, the fact is that, that Rabbi Saul Katzover had the chos of sharing his his room with the Belzareb. Right. See, that's what I mean. That's he what I mean. In his room. When, when you when you are when you are literally sharing a room with and meals with and watching how your parents deal with those Torah giants, you get a completely different perspective of what's important in life. Frankly, that's right. 
All right. Plus, he walked around thinking about his brother all day long, right. the brother that he uh, never met. And and that is, look, I you know I said to you off the air. I read most of this book in Israel because I knew I had to prepare for this morning. And I was landing this morning. Uh, I, I'm sitting in a cab reading that chapter, and it, it's heartbreaking. I, I say to myself, if I was a parent in that situation, that thought they were doing something good for their child, leaving him in the hands of people that they felt, you know, they could trust. And in fact, you know, hours later, so to speak, that child is missing forever. I mean, how do you continue with life? How do you go on? Yeah. It was very hard. They, lived, they never stopped living that. For the rest of their life, that was something that was part of their life, and they never, you know, it's obvious. They and, lived that, and yeah. And what, the Belzer Rebbe, his mother... His mother, the Belzer Rebbe offered his mother, I'm talking about the previous Belzer Rebbe. Right, right. The, uh, the uncle of this Belzer Rebbe offered his mother a, a bracha. And, he, and what do you want? She said, I want a bracha for another child. And he said, and he didn't give her a bracha for another child, but he said, this son will be like 10 sons. And Rabbi Saul Katsover really is unique, and he's completely, is really a completely unique person. And I, the reason why I even decided to, re, to reach out to him, and I reached out to him, was because, when 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 uh, Hosni Mubarak died, the, who was the head of Egypt for so many years, Rabbi Yisrael wrote a, a, a very big article in Amadiyah about all his interactions with Mubarak, and I was fascinated. I said, "Here's a person who traveled, who was a, a guest of Mubarak, at his palace in Cairo, who who came together with Rabbi Yosef to the palace, and, and he's like, this is a person who was a walking history book, but in the history in its best sense." I have to talk to him. We have to do something. You know what's interesting about that whole area of the book, by the way? People don't realize that areas that we always thought were off-limits, like you just mentioned, the president of Egypt, right? Uh, off-limits, and that Jews wouldn't be welcome, and that you know there would be a, um, uh, there would be a <clears throat> stigma if somebody, in fact, would reach out from Israel uh, to somebody in Egypt at the time. And we don't realize just how much interaction there was and just how much yeah. you know behind the scenes a uh, movement there was on so many different issues that were going on, and, and Mubarak did believe, by the way, that the bracha he got from it was from a Rabbi Yosef, the bracha he got. Yes, that yeah, he he yeah. really did believe that that's what kept him in power and kept him alive for so many years, right? Right. Which yeah. is which is pretty. They were very close. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> they had just, a close relationship. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just one tidbit from the book. All right, we, we got to give a little overview here. So so how does Katzover? Uh, end up becoming, you know, somebody from the Torah background we described and somebody who has a tremendous appreciation for our tradition and heritage. How does he end up becoming such an important uh, um, a war journalist, uh, defense ministry journalist, uh, somebody who's really in the know on so many things going on in such important eras in modern Jewish history? All right. So first of all, remember, he started in the beginning. So back then, there wasn't any there weren't that many people doing what he was doing. So he started 60, 55, whatever, 55 years ago. Right. So he started as a young journalist. He worked his way up. So that's number one. Number two, he grew up at Katamon with Bibi Netanyahu. Right. Okay? So he's a personal friend of Bibi Netanyahu. At his 70th birthday party, Bibi couldn't come, but he sent him a video talking to, you know, he's come to his simchas, and they're very, they're friends, they're close friends. So that's the number two. Number three is, when, when you're a person who, who stands by your, your beliefs and you're consistent and you're moral and people know that you're a person who doesn't budge and you're trustworthy, and it's not that you're doing things for scoops, you're doing things because you believe in them, then you have a reputation and people want to work with you. And four is that we have the story with Rabin 
and how he brought down the government. Yeah. And that's something that no one ever did before. And he brought it down as a civilian. Why did he bring it down? Because of Kavit Shabbat. Right. America's sending F-15s to Israel for the first time, and Israel's making this huge, huge party and this huge thing, and it's going to happen. Mamish, when Shabbos comes in, he saw Katsuva leaks it to the press, which he was not allowed to do, gets in trouble for it, doesn't care, listens to Abavadio, gives him his adracha, and then what does he do? He submits a no-confidence motion in the government on Sunday morning after the whole event, and Rabin's government falls because of a from journalist who brings it down because of COVID Shabbos. And what he, what he, I assume, realized, but, um, but, but maybe not on, that, on the spot, was that that whole attitude, everyone's um, requirement, so to speak, from that point forward to pay attention to Shabbos, to know that Shabbos and Yantif to an extent, is always going to be part of the equation as the Israeli government goes forward. I, I think we could cite plenty of times since then that Shabbos has been a factor, and, and it probably all emanated from that episode. Definitely had an effect, for sure. It, it, the government fell because of somebody who said, I'm sorry, you're being Mechal Shabbos, and it's not okay. There's no reason for it. If, if it was from Kuch Nefesh, I would not say anything. But there's no reason to make a party and, and cause thousands of people to drive on Shabbos, and it's an official government thing. And Rabin was very upset at him for many years. Yeah. He wouldn't talk to him, and later Rabin definitely wouldn't look, at him, look him in the eye. And eventually they made Shalom, and he brought him to the Gerebbe for a meeting, which he arranged. Right. But, and it's, an, it's a fascinating story. But that led to Begin's government. And yeah. Begin knew who brought down the previous government. And he said to him, what do you want? Like, he's offering him a reward. And Kassover doesn't take advantage of this. He could take advantage of this reward. He says, I just want an interview with you. Right. You understand? But that's his Yashris. <laughs> Begin is offering you a reward. You could do, you, you understand what that means? I owe you. What do you want? Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is here, via, is actually with us live via telephone. The book is called The Insider. It's a book about famed war journalist Yisrael Katzever. It's a brand new one from Shara Press. You can go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. You know, everyone has their perspective. It's funny you, you, that you happened to mention just now about, you know, the, the whole Begin recognition that Katzever brought down the government that led to a Begin government. You know, there, there are a lot of theories why, how Begin, in fact, won that election. There are a lot of theories, and some of them, you know, don't include what you just mentioned about Katzever. So it's, it's funny. I shouldn't say funny. It's interesting to read for those of us who are somewhat familiar with Six-Day War, Yom Kippur War, and, and the post-years of those wars' history. It's interesting to read his perspective on it. With that in mind, um, when you read about, you know, what he felt was the, the, um, the strategy or the outcome of the Israeli relationship with Egypt post Yom Kippur War, I find that fascinating because I, I I don't know how many people would have granted Egypt the right to declare they won that war, but it's the fact that they think they won the war that led ultimately to a peace treaty with Israel. Now again, I, I'm not one to argue with Katzover. I I trust what he says, but I never had heard that perspective before. Right. He has a lot to say on Egypt, you should know. <laughs> yeah, boy, he, he spent a lot of time in Egypt, didn't he? He spent 35 days that first trip. Right. He could not get out because until they finished making the deal, and it was a crazy trip, and he's, there was a great picture of him on a horse near the pyramid. Right, so that. It was just a fascinating trip. But, but he's just, like I said, he's been everywhere. He's been to China. He's been to Russia. I love this story. He says he goes to the Kremlin. He's meeting... Right. Putin with a bunch of journalists, and Putin gets up and he goes into a fighter stance and he says, "You think I'm a tough guy? Why do you guys write I'm such a tough guy? I'm not such a tough guy. I'm a nice guy. Why do you guys write this about me?" And he says to Katzover, "You know what I like to eat?" He says, "He 
says, I like to eat matzahs. Right. He says. The cats of his, and the other Israelis don't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> he says, he says, matzot. He likes matzot. Why does he like matzot? Because Putin was taking care of his neighbors were from fa- or Jewish family where he lived, and they took care of this little kid whose parents worked late, didn't have any money. They used to feed him. He grew up with a taste of matzot. The chief rabbi of Russia gives him gives him matzot. Yeah. You understand? It's amazing. It's amazing stuff. Right. It's funny that how much how much stuff, including your work, is revealing more and more about Putin. I know I'm I'm raising a side point. But it's funny as the years go on and everyone wonders about his uh, control over Russia. It's funny to hear more and more about his relationship with Jews, Jewish community, Jewish journalists, as you point out, etc. Yeah, which is very interesting and funny when you think about his background, uh, you know, in, in the Soviet Union and then and then uh, yeah. eventually Russia. It's, yeah. The whole thing is hilarious. Mr. KGB, yeah. Mr. KGB, Mr. Stalin loves Jews. What yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> How funny is that? Uh, but that's 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 a Kaddish Baruch Hu's world. It's funny as right. Kotsover felt the need to actually um, uh, write under an alias. I thought it was for a, <laughs> I thought it was for some, you know, remarkable, um, uh, uh, knew some secrets that he couldn't reveal type reason. The real reason was that there was a conflict of interest between, I guess, essentially doing radio and writing in newspapers. Yes. And, and he had to separate Correct. the two, right? Correct. Yes, he had to write. He needed a pen name. So for those for those of you who think it was ego that created the pen name or it was you know knowing top secret information it was simply out of convenience to make sure he can maintain the two jobs he wanted to maintain. Right. That's uh, correct. Yeah, so that's pretty interesting as well. Um what was the what to him was the I mean you interviewed him and you did all this work with him. What to him was the highlight of his career? Would he say would he would he ever indicate that there was one episode or something that you know stood I mean there's so much stuff in here it's crazy. And every era in, in you know the last fifty years is covered. Uh, is there anything he pointed out that was Ooh. that was highlights? I think I think one highlight was bringing down the Robin government. Right. I, think. <laughs> yeah. I do. I feel that to him was a huge moment. That was big. Uh, I think he loved doing the Meitzadas Mirot on Kol Yisrael. Right. And, and I, sh- big, I should. He mention- loved that. Yeah, he I- loved that. He was, it was. It became this thing that everyone was home that night when they would announce the winners' song of the year. Singer of the Year, everyone was home listening to that show, recording it. That was a big highlight. Uh, you know, there were so many things that he, that were, I'll tell you, to me, what a big thing was. I mean, what he did with Ariel Sharon, I don't know if you read the chapter, Nachum, when Ariel Sharon, when, when, when the Erloi Rebbe comes over to his house on Tisha B'Av night, right. because he wants to convince Ariel Sharon not to do the disengagement. Right. To me, that chapter was, that's a highlight. Here, Comes, he's a neighbor of the Erloi Rebbe. Tishabov, the Rebbe does not speak normally on Tishabov. But he comes to his house and he's crying because we have to call Ariel Sharon to prevent the disengagement. And Kasimir has Sharon's number. They, they know each other. And, he, and he's like, but, uh, can you imagine? Someone says, no, call president, the president of America right now because I want to. Uh, you, you think not twice. You think a hundred times before you call the president. But he did. He called him. And, and I re- Sharon answered. Yeah, and I remind everybody that, that this engagement took place right after Tishabov. It did. He did not convince Sharon. And what got he cried me- to Sharon, and Sharon was not convinced. And what got me about Katsover, and this is a quote on page 332 of your book, what got me about Katsover was he reaffirmed everything I had heard from anybody in that generation who knew Sharon, including my father. He said, 
Uh, there were plenty of articles where I spelled out exactly how I felt about him, that he was a man who couldn't be trusted. And that is why, frankly, in that one sentence, that is why people of that generation who knew him were not surprised when he called for and ultimately carried out the disengagement because they knew that ultimately they could not trust anything that he said, which is so sad, but a, a reality for those who knew him at that time. Well, it's a reality today also, Nachum. Uh, meaning with certain political figures? <laughs> I mean with politicians in Israel who say, promise the world and then do the exact opposite of what they say they're going to do. So there you go. Yeah. Tell nothing me- changed, as Tom Amel said. Yeah, nothing changes is right. It's all the same. Uh, tell me about Rabavadja's Pesach. You have a chapter about it regarding Gilad Shalit. I wanted to concentrate on this a drop because so many people from all different generations remember this situation, remember the scenario, and obviously celebrated when eventually so, he, he was released. He said that was, I think it was, was the, the Pesach was that if it's going to cause a, 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 if it's a cause an to the soldiers, Rabavadja was not a favor. Right. And Rabavadja was not a favor. It's you, you can't kill a whole bunch of soldiers because of one soldier. Right. Everybody gave him shot. Right. Yeah. But he was not sure to put that in, you should know. He wasn't oh. sure. And oh. I was like, I don't see any problem with that. Oh. I think to me, if Rabbi Paskin that it doesn't you know, that's fine. Right. The reason I was surprised it was in, and it's funny you say that he hesitated about it, is because um you know th- there there's never definitive information. You know, we always talk about that you you release five hundred terrorists, you know, you assume that they're going to repeat their actions and, and that and that Jews and soldiers will be in danger. Uh, but obviously there's no proof to the fact. Uh, so I, I thought that that psaac was interesting, and, and, I'm, and, and I'm fascinated to hear that he hesitated to put it in the book. Yeah, he wasn't sure if Aryeh Derry would come across looking not so good. I said uh, I don't see yes. any reason why that should be a problem. And Rabbi Vadya said, look, if you remember when Nachshon Waxman was kidnapped, right. an actual operation that took place on a Friday night, which mm-hmm. actually was not far away from my yeshiva, I was learning in Sarotsk, and it was Bokhto Hill in Ramot, where he was being held captive. Right. I wanted to say, when the team of Sarah Matkal went in to get him, they had bad information. The door was much thicker than they thought, and people were killed. Well, people were very hurt. There was gun battles. I think people were actually killed. The point is, and they killed, uh, they killed Naksha Waxman. So the point is, Abavadi was very hesitant to, to allow soldiers to be killed based on information that didn't, you know, he doesn't want to put soldiers in danger. He was very careful about the lives of soldiers. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, tell me his impressions of some of the things going on today. The Iranian nuclear program, right? One of the biggest debates is how the United States should be handling that and whether it should be a deal with Iran or not. What does Katsover say about it? i got to tell you, that was something to me. I said, I said to him, okay, we, we've, we've covered so much. And this, you should know there's a lot more which he wanted to talk about, which I said, you know, it's not for this book. And it, it, it's like other things, his, his, his fascination with history, with, with Columbus. We right. had a whole piece on Columbus, which we didn't, which I didn't put in the book. There's tons of different things. Which uh, Vasco da Gama, there was a Jewish person, official, supposedly was part of his boat that went with him. <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. And he's an expert on all this stuff. And there's an a, and, and, and of India. And there's a debate if Columbus is Jewish at all. That there, there was a debate. With yes, him, right? I, I, we brought proof to this. It was a whole right. thing, which in the end it didn't really fit with, with what the book is about because it's all it's contemporary. But but uh, but he's an expert in all this stuff. And I said, all right, look, let me start. look, we have to. I want to me out of you know I'm familiar with a, a nice amount of Israeli history and and some of the operations the Mossad did over the years. And to me, the the, the biggest, most successful, most daring operations, audacious, chutzpahic operation, is going into Iran, going into Tehran, and walking off 
with all of their records of atomic nuclear. That is such chutzpah. I said, I want to share this operation with, the, with our readers. Can you get permission from the censor to give them the whole story? And he sends in a detailed operation to the censor, got permission for most of what he wanted to write, and then we wrote the operation pretty much from beginning to end, as much information as I could put into the book, because he knows a lot, a lot of things he's not allowed to say. But most of the operation, almost, almost everything we were able to put in. And I just wanted to give people a detailed operation from his perspective. And, but he knows, like, he, to answer your question, the man knows everything, and he's, he also knows what he's allowed to say, and he never looks for scoops. So they could trust him. What, but per- he knows. <laughs> what percentage of the real story? And again, that's an operation that everybody listening should remember because it just happened, basically, right? Happened toward the end of BB's reign. Uh, what percentage of that story do you think? Uh, it, it, what percentage of the entire story were you able to print? You're you're going with fifty. The majority of the story. Seventy-five percent. The main issue that I couldn't print, and the main issue which he would not say is how did the team get away from Tehran? How did they actually get? the files out of Tehran, right. and there are many different theories, and uh, I would, uh, from what I understand, again, I'm not, I can't say this is conclusive, I don't have proof, but I think, and this is what I think personally, is that they got it over the border to the neighboring country, and which is not far from, uh, from Tehran, it's right. about 45 minutes away, that's what I understand, uh, uh, most people believe, most journalists believe that that's how they got the files out of Iran, but you should know, within a very short time, the, all of the uh, hundreds, I think tens of thousands of Iranian security were looking for the Israeli team. It, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story. I said, I said, we have to put this into the book. And he, he, said, okay, let's, he loved the idea. And, he, and we just put it in. And so. I'm so glad that you're presenting it in this way because the Iraq nuclear reactor and Tebi, uh, the Six-Day War, I mean, and, and so many other, you know, uh, Shalit, uh, so many other operations and situations and episodes that you know ha- had real decisions to be made, and obviously were life and death in many instances, like you just described. I'm sure that was a life and death mission, obviously, uh, for those who tried and successfully got if those. They would have been caught. Yeah, it of been Definitely life and death. So yeah. it's yeah. Un- and, and so all of not all of us, many of us always think that you know th- that those types of actions. And those types of stories were reserved for 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you know, in the heart of modern Jewish history and the formation of the state of Israel and the capture of Yerushalayim. The reality is, the one you're describing just happened a couple of years ago, which is unbelievable. It's happening now. And it's happening right now, exactly. We, we for, Today. We forget. We hear about Turkey and we hear about, uh, and we hear about uh, you know, other, other areas of the world where certain things happen. We, we don't realize the level of execution, the level of intelligence that is being utilized in order to continue uh, to exist as a state of Israel. Uh, by 100%. The, this is always the problem with an interview like this, because the truth is I want to bring up every single story you write in the book. <laughs> and, and it's ridiculous because <laughs> we got to encourage people to buy the book. So I'm going to stop myself. Don't worry. We're just touching. This is the tip <laughs> of the true. iceberg. That's true. That is true. It's a 400-page book, everybody. So it is the tip of the iceberg. They uh, should look. They, the, your, your listeners... If they're interested in the in the Shatzite Svi era, right. you should read the book. Right, that's that's crazy. Uh, Just that alone. Imagine that. I'm Ima- not getting into it. Imagine a, a story about somebody in the 20th century and 21st century, and that and you say that that uh, that that era will will come to life. You know, if people read the I'm book. I'm telling you right now that he has people. He has tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands of people who follow and consider Shopside Street to be their goggle today. Unbelievable. And, and it's 2021, I remind everybody. <laughs> 2021, because... the Balkans, Turkey, Greece, 
even in Israel, there's a Moshav because that, that, that has a carbon Pesach right. because they believe in Shasite Tzvi. Because we went ahead and, uh, and just assumed that that entire movement had died down and, and had exactly the opposite happen. Um, one of the things I found interesting in the book, and this one I, I, I would love to have a panel of people from that era to sit here and discuss it with, is the impression of Shimon Peres. I mean, you know, when you when you speak to, uh, when you speak to a uh, an observant person about Shimon Peres and his attitude toward you know Torah heritage, our people from a religious standpoint, etc., it's usually not favorable. But in your book, he's got some kudos coming to, coming to him. Uh, Shimon Peres is a person who's shanui b'machlokes. The thing about Shimon Peres is that if you speak, it, it depends if you know who Shimon Peres was or if you don't. Even if you know who Shimon Peres was, there's still a black stain against Shimon Peres, and that is the fact that he was the, the, the architect of Oslo. Right. So that's, uh, that's a problem. Peres created Oslo. But if you leave Oslo aside, Peres did more for the, Israel than probably almost anybody else. From and not from. For the from, he has the, 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 the koilos, the b'nei yeshivas, a lot of it's from Peres, the funding. Not just that, he built the country. But I, I want to take it a step further, and, I, and you're right about both those things. I'm not minimizing either of them, especially the building of the country. But the, the impression always is that he's anti-Torah. The impression always is that, that there, there's no substance to his own tradition and heritage. And, and just where he comes from and his attitude that you describe is, is very different from what many of us uh, have always felt over the years. It came from Mandy Gedalia Yisrael said it about him. He quoted Mandy Gedalia Yisrael. He told me from Shach, he said he heard it. He heard it from countless Gedalia. The Shimon Peres is the person that because of him, they, they, the Koylos were able to be funded, the Yeshivas were able to continue, and he did it because of his encounter with the Chofetz Chaim. Unbelievable. The whole thing is incredible. A real, a genuine encounter with the Chofetz Chaim. Correct. Right. Not, not a dream. You a, see what, a real you see what the Chofetz Chaim that's could right. do one meeting with the Chofetz Chaim that's could do right. for a person, that's real power. That's charisma. Yeah. That's, that's a real gadol. You meet with someone for a few minutes when they're a little child, and 80 years later, it's changing the face of Kla Yisrael because of one encounter with you. You understand this? No question about it. It's, it's really remarkable. Um, I'll tell you, when he, when he gave you all this information, it must have been very difficult to organize because I, I would imagine some of those conversations were all over the map. Uh, well, actually, he would. We would take a topic, and then he, we would just we pretty much, you know, go through the topic, and then I would mark what topic it was, what 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 er, what era it took place in. We were. I tried very much to keep it as and he as was, Masudar as possible. And he was but, a, and he was able to stay focused because even in the book, it's funny how you sometimes will write a story that you're admitting is really a tangent, but you felt it was appropriate to, you know, to include it in that area. That's me. That's my, <laughs> that was my executive decision. Don't blame him. I'm, I'm at fault. <laughs> I got it. I just thought you were reflecting the way things went with him when you were doing all the research. Uh, ladies my, and gentlemen. I take responsibility. Say it again. I'm sorry. I take responsibility. <laughs> take he responsibility. is focused. It is I who chose to do that. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, the brand new book is The Insider. I mean, we literally have just touched on some of the topics. I'll tell you one thing I want to emphasize. For those of you who have always been fascinated, and I say this because I know that our audience is filled with people like this, by details of the Six-Day War and some of the things that went on 
uh, in the background that proved to be really important. And then details of the Yom Kippur War, where again, details became so important in terms of the war and in terms of the war's aftermath. You'll love the book for that. Uh, but there's so many other things. I mean, you're talking about a variety of topics uh, from so many different eras and so many different episodes and with an incredible history that only Yisrael Katzover, known as A. Pe'er, uh, the famed war journalist, uh, can possibly share. It's his unforgettable adventures and encounters with Gedolim, with world leaders, but way beyond that, with so many people who had a role in uh, in modern Jewish history at, in both the Torah world and in the world of the state of Israel, and really I would say the Jewish world in general around the globe. Rabbi Seltzer, that's not a uh, an exaggeration to say Jews around the world, right? No, not at all. And don't forget his connection with the Rebbe of Chabad. Right. Don't forget that. That was also a fascinating uh, uh, chapter to read. It was, uh, and and by the way, he was he was. How do I put it? I got to be very sensitive how I say this. He was prominent enough in the eyes of those who ran Chabad headquarters that he even saw the Rebbe once the Rebbe was not well. And I think that that correct. Yeah. Not just that. He helped the Rebbe. He sent right. He, he gave the, the medical doctor. advice. Right. He actually, they actually sent the doctor in the end, right? A, a person to go and work yes. with it, right? They, he gave them medical right. advice based on his own experiences with his father, right. and he was very close to them. He, they, they, he was mamish an, an insider in 770 also. Yeah, 100%. And they, and they appreciated Look, the Rebbe, as, as, I mean, for those of us who, you know, <laughs> my, my father, as many know, had, uh, had a very close relationship with the Rebbe. He appreciated those who, who were able to keep things close to the vest, right? Secrecy and uh, uh, it was always important to him. And those who, uh, who had a keen eye and ear in terms of what was going on around the world uh, in different Jewish communities. And Katzover, boy, does he fit that description or what? I mean, so, 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 you know, many Gedolim, they, they would reach out to Yisrael Katzover and they would ask him to give them, to, they would consult with him about many things, and they would send him on, miss, uh, on missions. He was like the, the perfect person. He was situated exactly in the right place to be the conduit between so many different key people in the firm world, the non-religious world, the army, politics, diplomacy, you name it, he's there. Radio, uh, uh, media, it's, it's incredible. You know, and all the entire time with humility, humbleness, shy, special, a beautiful Jew, a beautiful Yid. Shema Yisrael being said at the beginning of the broadcast day in Israel on television is because of him. Um, and right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yes, and he came, he's the one who came up with, the, with, that, with that award to right. give out. He's the one right. who came up with the concept, Yakira Yerushalayim, and, to give out. And in the 1980s, I, I think it was the 80s, maybe it was already the 90s, when Mitzat Hazami wrote was really, really hot, we here at the radio station would do everything in our power to get a hold of that weekly list and then get a hold of Like, that's how important it was. For you know, I, I remember young artists who were either in Israel or bridging the gap between the U.S. and Israel. Their dream was to be part of Mitzat Hazmirot. So, this- and they would come to him, and he was so nice to every artist. It was like you know, you know, I, I worked in the music industry for many years. We used to do interviews because of the choir, right? And I could tell you from working in the music industry, it is a tough place. Yep. Okay. It's not a sympathetic, and in Hebrew, sympathy. Sympathy is low, but. You come to, to Rebbe Saul Kassover, and it's like you walked into the office of your uncle, of your favorite uncle, and all he wants is to help you be Matsliya. Yeah, they're very true. And the way you describe that is pretty amazing. 
Uh, and how do you? What about the fact that where Rabbi, you know, that this rabbi comes into his office and gives him a song and he tries to help him, right. and then the rabbi says, "You know, I, I think it's not for me. I'm going to do what I'm doing." He says, "What do you do? What's your name, Rav Kahati? I'm going to keep focused on my mishnayos <laughs> that I'm writing." Right. Uh, and for those of you who know uh, your Mishnah history, Kahati is a very important name in uh, in that history. Um, where is he now? Yisrael Katzver does what this moment? Yisrael Katzver is busy being a military journalist at Ayomazeh. He's busy going here, he's going there, he's traveling. He's, he's part of, he's Hamadiyah's military journalist, and they send him on missions to, to, to different army bases. And he, uh, at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, he's meeting with the chief of staff to, to, to get the, um, so you know, what the, the, the right. normal, traditional, good, a good uh, new year from the chief of staff, from right. this one from the Minister of Defense. He's uh, but also, but also doing I, his job. But also, I think he was concerned with and arranged chauffeur blowing in different bases and, you know, anything he could do for his soldiers around Yontif time, etc. I, 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 I forget. I read so much of what you wrote. I'm, I may be mixing up things, frankly. <laughs> but, I, but if I'm not mistaken, that was part of it, uh, that he wanted to make sure everyone had what they need to, as the new year and as Yontif started. Um, I think you're quoting from the Yom Kippur War. When he met with Rabbi Piron, and Rabbi Piron was right. telling him what they planned on doing for Yomtev. Right. That was before the war broke out, and right. suddenly, before they knew it, they're, they're, you know, Israel's completely under attack, and he almost died in the Yom War. Right. And that was the moment he almost died. Correct. And, and one of the things that, that fascinates many of us is the start of the Yom Kippur War. I learned a couple of things in your book that I did not realize. Again, getting it from his perspective made me think about the, what was going on that day and, frankly, the days before the Yom Kippur Wars. I, I, I can't. Well, they should. Well, remember, Nachum, he's the insider. Right. I can't recommend this. I can't recommend this highly enough. Uh, so the book's not finished because if he's still working, there'll be plenty more to write about him, I guess, he's down the road. He's still kicking away. He's yeah. still kicking away. You know, he's still Kassimer. in his house in Katamon. Still, you know, has the numbers of everyone. He showed me different uh, correspondence with different key people. Uh, you know, things which I might say private stuff, which, but I, I could just tell you that he's. He's he's still in contact with the highest echelons of government, as is Rabbi Grossman, as right. is as, Baruch Hashem. What can I tell you? It's I, a to see to be close to people like this. So yeah. uh, the, the the people who shape society and shape what's happening in the world. It's beautiful. It's special. Yeah. It's such special people. Yeah, no question about it. You've had a unique privilege, to say the least. Um, it's called The Insider. I've held her by Seltzer a lot longer than I originally told him, so I am apologizing yeah. to him. Uh, it is called The no, Insider. What are you talking about? Oh, come on. You know, it's like we're I, friends. We, I, we, I know. We get together. But, we, but we, don't want it to, we don't want to finish. But I also know your afternoon schedule in Israel is not a simple one, so I appreciate it very much. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, the book is called The Insider. Shar Press, Misora Publications. Go to artscroll.com. Check out the brand new book. Use promo code radio for your discount and free shipping. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. You will be more educated about modern Jewish history. Forget all the other great things that you'll get from this. The Musr you'll get about what it's like to, to live under the uh, uh, under the leadership of Gedoli Torah, etc. But aside from that, you will come away with a, a knowledge of modern Jewish history that is better than with what you went into it. Uh, Rabbi Seltzer, Big Yashikach, and Mazel Tov on the book. Thank you. Rabbi, Thank you so much for having me, Nachman. Always a pleasure. A real pleasure. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, the book is called The Insider. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio. I cannot recommend this book highly enough. And by the way, the majority of this book I read on the way from B'nai Brak to Yerushalayim. And it was pretty interesting as I'm traveling along a road where there were some pretty severe battles. 
uh, during the Six-Day War. I'm saying to myself, wow, excuse me, to be more accurate on that road, the War of Independence, I'm saying to myself, wow, I feel like I'm living history as I'm, as I'm, uh, as I'm driving through this area and at the same time reading this book. Pretty surreal experience. More coming up. You're listening to a uh, Tuesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM.